Guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, as ever, remember that all the information you're about to hear is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any illnesses or diseases. Please make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any of the things we may discuss in this podcast. Speaking of education, if you're an exercise professional, coach or anyone working within the realms of health and fitness, when you're done listening here, make sure to head on over and check out our education portal at www themusclementors.co.uk if you like us and truly care about the well-being of your clients about getting access to the best and most up-to-date information in the areas of exercise mechanics hypertrophy sleep improving your online coaching services and much much more then be sure to join up you'll gain access to endless hours of content focused around everything you need to become a truly elite coach and get your clients in the best physical shape possible this is all in the form of video lectures weekly live education sessions and study groups you also get early access to our podcast and access to any exclusive Q&A segments we do with our guests. The content never stops on the portal. It's not a one-off course. It's an ever-evolving learning platform designed to give you the best information possible in this area. Head on over to our website and become part of our epic community, full to the brim of other professionals who, like yourself, are focused on providing the best health and physique-related results for their clients. Join us and them and gain the resources, support and accountability you need to become the elite of the health and fitness industry. For now, though, grab yourself a pen and paper and enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back, guys, to the Master Mentors podcast um, Q&A episode. This isn't strictly a members Q&A, this one. So we're, we've, we took questions on Instagram for this um, as well. So there's a few questions from members. I say a few. I think we, there's only one that we can really delve into, um, which we'll get to in a sec. But we are joined... By myself, Cal, and Paul, who is no not joining us from Body by Control, like he's <laughs> he is now an official team member, which is awesome. But how, how are you guys doing? Good, mate. You? Good. Good. Yeah, good, good. That's a wonderful start, wasn't it? That was a really lame answer from the both of us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too excited if you're listening to this. <laughs> no, no, but it's you know obviously for those that listen to this when it comes out, this is the week when gyms reopen and stuff. So I think everyone is pretty happy. Um, and Paul's just been able to get a fresh haircut for the first time in however long. Yeah. How long has yeah. it been? The whole of since December? Since, yeah, since December. <laughs> I had grown a mullet with a comb over that was just not not the one. <laughs> not presentable. No. Uh, but no. So, yeah, everyone's happy. I think the nation's... I say the nation. Anyone who cares about gyms in the UK is pretty happy. I apologise to any Irish listeners. There's nothing we can do. Don't hate us. Um, Scottish as well. Don't leave the Scottish out. Oh, yeah, but they're, they're like a couple of weeks behind. I think theirs is like 26 and they're in. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, we're going to kick off with, we've got a few, some some cool questions. We're going to start with the, the one from the portal. Um, so Ryan, who who did ask one based on Lyle McDonald's um, protein diet, like of, I believe it's his protein modified fasting approach. Yeah. I'm not honestly clued in enough, and I don't think, and like I think we all agreed that when it comes to specifics of that approach, um, to kind of comment on what he's asked there. So I apologise for that. It's, in his, it's either in his Ultimate Diet 2.0 oh. or Rapid Fat Loss. I forget. It's a yeah. version of one of those, but it's been a good few years since I read it. Yeah, but I mean, his question is relating to neuroglycopenia, which is the where you basically have insufficient brain glucose, and that's obviously a consideration and part of why. He, I, I imagine part of why he, I know he suggests not doing that approach for too long. And I imagine that comes into why, but again, I'm not too clear on the ins and outs. So 
I can't fully go into that one. We did have a good question from Matthew who said, advice for newly qualified personal trainers on how to structure their studying and personal development. Are there any topics that are worth developing early on as opposed to diving into some more advanced topics? Thanks. Um, any thoughts, people? I mean, I would say advance, start advanced and then just, just get more basic. Well, your way back. Yeah, start with quantum mechanics and then just yeah, step back from that. And then you finish on Newtonian, like like Newton's laws. It's super simple by the time we get there. <laughs> no, but seriously, have you, have you, um, you got any uh, got any thoughts on this? Because I know it's an approach that generally a lot of people end up taking, but obviously with how things have opened up now, with like our portal and other, you know, there's other learning platforms coming out where it's quite easy to go in and be met with some pretty complex topics straight out the gate that kind of may be a bit overwhelming. Um, so, I mean, did you have any decent strategies among you guys? I think you're starting with what is the person interested in and yeah. who are they interested in working with? I think you're almost starting from that point. And that might also be a difficult question in itself because whenever you're new to an industry, you kind of don't know enough about the industry to know what you're interested in or what to specialize in. And there seems like these all these topics. I think we all probably have a bias towards if you're starting out as an in-person PT, probably mechanics gives you the most application straight out the gate that will make a difference to your coaching practice with people in terms of what you'll be able to go and do with them on the gym floor, the experience you can give them the buy-in you get back from them and then it just the money you'll make from doing that goes up pretty quickly. I think more than if you were to specialize in any other area straight out the gate. Cause if, if you're in, if you're in the gym, we are a personal trainer first and foremost with an emphasis on trainer. That's, that's where we start. Like you're going to find in the general population, lots of your clients that you are going to want to give these meal plans and ideas and macros and cows to, and they're not going to stick to any of those. And you're going to go, Oh, that was a massive waste for, <laughs> for a large chunk of them or not, not a waste, but it's stuff that they're going to have to go through a process and a journey that might take a lot of time before they change those things. Whereas they're coming to you in the gym every single time. So for me, it's okay. I think starting there and whether that's then looking at like, the foundations course that Michael Golden runs, that kind of foundations RTS thing, I suspect is probably the place I would recommend starting. But again, it comes back to what are you interested in? Who do you want to work with? And what appeals to you? Because if you're not excited by that topic to some degree, I don't know if you'll keep the enthusiasm to keep going. Mm, I agree. Cal? Or Luke? Cal? <laughs> I would uh, tend to agree with all those points and factually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I, I'm going to counter and say it's total bullshit. Um, <laughs> no, no, the, uh, no, but I would say like there, there's an, a, like, there is a slight. You could draw a comparison to when you know we go through GCSEs into A levels or the American college system. I know is set up in a way where you get exposed. You you basically have to be exposed to a ton of different topics and then you go oh from these i can pick where i'm interested in and that's where i go you go and you know you then do your a levels in the gccs you were interested in in the american college system you then major in the things that you kind of actually were fascinated by but you kind of have to be exposed to those things i don't think that necessarily applies so much to the to the fitness industry and things like that because it's not the same um you know the the the, the style of learning necessarily isn't the same in terms of 
it's not a fault that's not like necessarily higher education system but like there's there's maybe some people might like that approach where they could kind of dip their toe into a few different areas and go oh you know that's pretty interesting like yeah maybe i'll explore that a bit more but i would agree with paul that there are some definite key areas that just carry some serious merit and probably are worth your time in terms of having them as just like non-negotiables and then dipping your toes into some of the other things um but yeah exercise mechanics 100 key um like the nutritional side of things i think is is very important and i think i had a consult with a guy recently literally yesterday actually on just you know he's he's got a fair amount of nutrition knowledge but then it was like applying that to the coaching practice and knowing okay now i know all these things how can i like when do i make changes and when do i implement them and the takeaways are all pretty simple but but that side of it was um was in like you know it, it's an area that and that's obviously why we created the coaching process section because it's giving people that kind of practical insight into how to apply the information, which is what's missed out on. And I think that is in a large part where this little spiel is going is that you can dip your toe into tons of different areas. Like on the portal, we di- we go into hypertrophy and look at neuromuscular signaling and go into some funky shit on a cellular level. Um, but there's always like a practice. Say again? Obviously the basic place to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But there's a practical, there's always a link, you know, practical link back to what we do as coaches, which is where I think there's a lot of courses that miss out on it. And that's where some people do get overwhelmed, maybe because they go and do some of these these courses or learn from people that don't bring in the practical element or don't make it so obvious and connect the dots for the people that are learning. And, and that can be quite overwhelming. So as long as whatever you're going into realistically is linking back to your role as a coach, as a trainer in some way or another, um, that, that you can understand and apply you'll probably be fine um and and you know you could you could take it with like one topic at a time like say you can go a bit slower and dip your finger into a few areas at a time if you want that's one of the um, benefits of the portal to yeah. be honest without blowing our own horn here but is you've got the ability to try a whole bunch of different things and be like well which one of these tickles my pickle at this point and cool jump off on that for a little bit and, and yeah. play around and that yeah and that can be a super cool way of learning because you know when it comes to retaining information like you know you don't want to take the approach of cram it all in you know jump on the portal for a month cram it all in and then see you later because you won't remember it you might remember it for a few weeks but you won't you know that frequent exposure where you might go through some lecture on hypertrophy and then next week go through some stuff on mechanics and then go back to hypertrophy a week later, you know, with that week gap, but you can kind of refresh some of the stuff you've learned and allow it to consolidate and just kind of that frequent exposure. We talked about that. I can't remember when it was on the live or one of the study groups. Yeah, where, Saturdays, yeah. yeah. Like the different strategies people have for, for learning and retaining information. And like there's, there's tons you can take um, and different ways you can take the information in Um but I'd say for another key thing on the mechanics front, and this is, again, I mean, blowing our own horn at the same time, contradicting some of the stuff we say where we're like, you know, being hands-on with the exercise mechanics stuff is so important. So when we do our practical camps and the Integra stuff like Michael does, RTS, they're practical-based in-person courses for a reason because that type of content is probably best learned in that environment. So like there's only so much you can learn from the portal, which I say it kind of contradicts some of the stuff we've said because you can't be amazing at exercise mechanics from just watching videos and stuff. Um, but if you can supplement that with some in-person stuff and kind of have both avenues, 
and it'll probably do some good. Um, it leads to the same issue that I get asked sometimes of like, what's a good book to learn mechanics from? And it's like, oh, I don't know if I've got a good answer for that one, because mm-hmm. unless you're already quite familiar with the topic, it'll be really dry. It won't make much sense to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much help it will be. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, with the workshops and seminars stuff, it's mainly just been, you know, the last year or so, there's not been an opportunity for those things to be run. Whereas mm-hmm. you can think of those exercise mechanics workshops are always supposed to really be in, in concert with the exercise mechanics part of the portal, which is teaching it alongside that and a continued exploration. Cause you need repeated exposure yeah. to these ideas for them to really sink in. Yeah. But the, and I know you mentioned it when you went on Ollie's podcast that the, um, you know, when we talk about exercise mechanics, we don't necessarily need the distinction of anatomy and exercise mechanics because exercise mechanics is the application of forces to anatomy. So, but the the anatomy side of things is another key area. But again, same thing. People go, oh, well, you know, what resources can I have to learn about anatomy? And you're like, Let's get an anatomy book, Atlas of Anatomy, get on Ken Hub, get on all these different things. But get skeleton. Yeah, get a skeleton. Get all those that, ones first. Yeah, and there's all these different avenues. But again, if you result, if you resort just to a book, it might be a bit dry yeah. because you're just memorizing attachment sites. But getting a skeleton, getting on courses and stuff where you can visualize this stuff in in person and kind of you get that kind of eureka moment where you kind of go, oh, okay, I can see where the muscles getting you know shorter as we go through. You're trying season. to like scaffold this thing together, and when you're starting out, they're just words. They don't mean anything to you. They have no tangible sense of reality. One of the nice things when you get a skeleton is you can grab that bone or that thing called an ischial tuberosity, which just sounds like someone's talking Greek to you when you're starting out. You can poke it and be like, oh, it's that. Okay, that's a real thing to me now, rather than Latin. That <laughs> for a thing I could, you could have made a character out of Star Trek up and told me it was a bony landmark, and I'd be like, "All right," because you just don't know. So make that stuff real, and then the books become really useful as a reference for exploring that. But I think if you haven't got a way of bringing it into a realm that you that you already understand. And, you know, everyone listens to this has made it enough as an adult that they can understand words and they function in the world. So they understand 3D stuff and then you can scaffold onto that this new stuff you're trying to learn. Which is important because I remember, I can't remember who it was. He'll probably listen to this because I know he's in our community where he, we were on a, was on one of the practicals and I think we was like, I was like, where does, you know, someone tell me where short head bicep attaches and he was like, coracoid process. And I was like, sweet show me where it is and he was like (laughs) 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 he knew the word because he'd read it in the book and he'd then visually he didn't know what that meant and what it translated to in the human body kind of like on a skeleton which is important because he he (laughs) went for somewhere on the humerus and i was like okay i remember being on um with michael i think on one of the first going through foundations and just realizing quite how many things i was just sound biting it's like what's yeah. the problem with the leg extension sheer obviously it's like okay so then you start exploring that you're like oh bugger and i think you did the same thing so which one of the biceps crosses the shoulder and everyone has learned the long head because we read it on t nation years ago and it's like so the short head doesn't also cover across that and i was like oh, i don't know i don't know <laughs> i just i just learned this one because i heard it um, and you just go ah oh, crap and you catch yourself out in those things it's quite funny yeah. I know, and it, that, that, but that's why, and and that is again, like you know, the one of the guys who, so the guy who asked the question is the guy who commented on that, um, who said he was going to ask the same thing on the portal, um, and he, you know, he, he's, um, I think he's relatively new to this side of exercise mechanics, and like some of the see others, and like you know, unlike many of us, I imagine when you first get exposed to stuff, it's, it's 
it's quite difficult um you know and, and it is it takes some time to kind of relate to and especially if you've been you've come you know this guy's joined and come into it clearly on this online platform he hasn't had the opportunity because we've been in a lockdown to kind of get into situations and explore it in these practical settings so it will be even harder then um so like yeah it's it's an important thing to recognize that there's layers to this thing and different ways you can expose yourself to the information take in and that's basically probably the best advice we can give whatever area you go into try and exhaust as many routes and avenues as possible when it comes to finding out about that thing getting information um, because there's tons of ways and tons of different resources and things out there that we're all kind of compound on one another assuming the information is good of course <laughs> don't have a shit teacher lesson yeah, yeah. Um, but that is an important thing you know you'll get some people that will go in way too complicated you know i know i've done that in the past probably still doing a few things and that's why you kind of are regularly asking for feedback because yeah. it's very easy when you find so especially in the in the mechanic side of things when you kind of find visualizing forces and moment arms and and you know joint um you know force angles and all these things relatively simple like you can visualize them very easily and you forget that maybe others can't um so it's um it's important to kind of remember the level of which you're trying to communicate that stuff enjoy the fact you said you forget that other people can't see force angles like that's a normal thing that everybody in the world walks around me oh i see force angles everywhere <laughs> there it is that's that's the thing when i think i remember it's classic response from people who walk off of the first weekend of rcs or they come off our practical camp or stuff and they're like i'm just starting i'm just looking at everything in terms of forces now <laughs> you're like, yep, yep. um that's where it comes from um but no, people will be relate be able to relate to that. But yeah, so I mean, I hope that answers that. Like places to start, exercise mechanics is going to be a great shout, which includes anatomy. But if you just want to look at gross anatomy on its own, then crack on. Um, but yeah, and exhaust as many different avenues as you can when it comes to getting that information in online, in person. Um, get it done. Um, and um, yeah, and then all the other stuff. I mean, hypertrophy is a big one. I would say. I'd say it's worth like the, one of the things about hypertrophy that's important is obviously it underpins pretty much every goal that our client will have when we're training them. There's very rarely a case where someone's like, even if they're like, I want to be healthy. We're like, okay, well we know muscle is healthy and getting them to improve the amount of muscle mass they have is probably key. It doesn't need to be excessive. You don't need to go like bodybuilder level, but like it's going to involve hypertrophy likely, you know, strength gain generally a like hypertrophy will accompany that it will it's very hard to find a goal in fitness that doesn't require hypertrophy so understanding things about that you know what are the different types how could we stimulate it? what are the mechanisms what's the what does some of the research say on how we can go about achieving that and how that influences our program because it links back in with you know how that whole uh, the exercise mechanic stuff works as well um another big area but yeah it's um yeah, get your fingers in different pies and see what you like. That sounds so twisted. That sound is so wrong. <laughs> I'm, ro I'm rolling with it, mate. Like, I'm rolling with it. Wow. Um, but no, anyway. Luke's not allowed to do in-person stuff anymore. Jeez. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but no, so any uh, any more to add to that or have we rambled enough? I think that's probably <laughs> enough for a yeah. beginner. Otherwise, we might just start confusing them further. No, hopefully I'm confused. Cliff notes one more time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, so no, there was a good question. I think Paul, you had on banded stuff, banded leg press, banded 
uh, people like how much should you band those things and it's common right we see lots of people slinging bands onto hack squats and leg presses and that's to some degree i think we've all been in that boat of being like oh profiles change as we press things and this one i get stronger as i go so i'm just going to sling some bands on it without an appreciation that you know the magnitude the size of the band or the tension it brings you or or brings off absolutely matters yeah well apparently not i think you can literally just hang a band off you don't even need to connect it to like end to end it can just be on the machine oh wow nice yeah that's pretty good yeah and it's just extra weight just really like still banded (laughs) (laughs) this isn't connected to anything paul doesn't matter even if it's just to hold plates on you've banded that shit exactly it's for the gram you know um but we you know and it seems obvious when you start thinking about it but it turns out that the amount of tension you put on that band matters to the point you go oh yeah and so just slinging the green band onto your hack squat may be entirely too little might be entirely too much and so i think we first off have to have some appreciation of the fact that in a leg press we're not lifting all of the load on the leg press so if we had 100 kilos on a back squat, that thing wants to go straight up and down, right? Gravity has a nice vertical direction. And so when you squat it, forgetting for the moment, accelerating it and decelerating stuff, you're dealing with the full 100 kilos of that barbell. When we move on to a, a leg press or a hack squat or anything that's on a slope, we're dealing with something called the, the physics of an inclined plane which for trigonometry reasons I won't bore you with, means you don't end up dealing with all of the mass that's sitting on the leg press. And it depends on the angle. The steeper the angle, and this sort of stands to reason if you start thinking about it, the steeper the angle, the more of the load you end up dealing with. And kind of that's right, because vertical, it's 90 degrees to the floor, right? It's, It's straight vertical. You're dealing with all of it. If we put you on a one degree slope, you're effectively dealing still with all of that load. If we put you on like, you know, 15 degrees, okay, that's dropped off quite a lot. So if we were using a 45 degree right between vertical and horizontal, 45 degree leg press or hack squat, it turns out that we're using 71%, give or take, of the load that's on the leg press. So if you had 100 kilos on this 45 degree sloped hack squat or leg press, you're actually dealing with 71 kilos. And so now when we start, and I should also say, just to give another example, if it was a 30 degree slope, now it's only 50 kilos. It's 50% of the load that's on there. So 45 degrees, 71%, 30 degrees, 50%. 100 kilos on there, in one scenario, you've got 100 kilos for the back spot. And 100 kilos in another scenario, you've got 71 kilos. And finally, another 100 kilos, we've only got 50 kilos. Well, the band tension needs to be related to how much you're actually lifting, not just how much is sat on that thing. So the first one to understand is what's the incline? Because that's going to tell us how much of, as a percentage, we're lifting of the plates you've slapped on the side of that thing, which is what I try and tell myself when Cal's lifting like a gajillion plates. I'm like, yeah, but the incline of the slope, you know, Uh, I could definitely do that. No, (laughs) Right. So, yeah, I think. Generally speaking, you're going to come across 45 degree and 30 degree more often than anything. Yeah. yeah. You'll find some that are a little steeper than that. I think the yeah. Cybex one might be steeper than that Cybex hack, but uh, yeah, you're generally in that kind of range. And so then we got this question of going, okay, if you come down as a ballpark thrown out there, rough idea, I tend to work on this thing. The, the top of the hack squat or the top of the leg press, you're going to be about 20% stronger than at the bottom. 
Now, that is going to definitely be different person to person based on proportions and the range of motion they can actually go through um, and fatigue and just differences in people's structure. So that is very much a generic ballpark kind of idea. But if we keep that in mind, okay, 20% heavier at the top than at the bottom. Well, if we've got 50 kilos on a 30 degree slope, uh, yeah, on a 30 degree slope, then 20% would mean I need an extra 10 kilos, right? So 10%, five kilos, 20%, extra 10 kilos on that. So the amount of banding, either increasing or decreasing, reverse banding or, or banding from the bottom, needs to be related to the load that's on there. If it now, let's say I've got the 45 degree one, now I've got 71 kilos on there. Well, now 20% is a 14 kilo amount of band tension. And that's going to go up based on however much is, is happening on these things. It doesn't need to be perfectly precise. I tend to not start people out worrying about these things because it, it can get a little nerdy. But the easiest way of doing it is getting a five pound luggage scale from Amazon, putting it around the band and just going, right, okay, the band needs to go through this whatever excursion we end up doing it's going through a a 30 centimeter excursion the band is stretching by 30 centimeters as i go through this okay and i know i need this band tension to give me 30 kilos or to take 30 kilos off well that's the question of going like okay where can i put this band on the leg press and then given that how many of them do i need or how strong do those guys need to be in order to create this really nice profile for a leg press whether i'm reverse banding it or banding from the bottom doesn't matter so the first part without worrying about whether it's better to top band it or bottom band it is do you understand that you're dealing with an inclined plane and that the band tension needs to be related to the amount of weight on that slope that you end up dealing with i think those are the biggest considerations whether you then start reverse banding it or bottom banding it i actually think is almost splitting hairs you know there's a slight difference in with a reverse band that weight wants to come down the slope. Let's say it's coming down the hack squat. Well, the band is slowing it down. It's decelerating that thing. However, when you then push back up, the band is accelerating it back up. It's helping you out of the bottom, but slowing the descent. It's the complete antithesis on the other one. In the bottom band, it's trying to push it straight back into you the entire time. So there's a little difference in inertial properties of those things, but I don't think it's, it's massive. I'm mainly concerned with right band tension for the incline of the slope. I mean, like for people that are new, you know, those lower skilled individuals, you can make the argument that the the reverse band setup might be more appropriate because there's less things to have to worry about on the part on the range of motion that's potentially higher risk for them. Like on a leg press, they're going to be we're going to be more worried about them controlling the eccentric really. Um, so if we've got a band that's kind of pulling them through the eccentric, might want to change it out for them or like a high skilled individual going into a movement like that with a lot of fatigue from three, four different movements in the session prior, maybe you'd opt for a reverse band setup. It's obviously better for the ego. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. You can put way more plates on. It makes you look uh, way better. <laughs> but, then, but yeah, it is a case of you're doing the same thing to the profile. Um, I mean, for me, like I think come of it from a practical perspective and often it's just well, what leg press or hack squat am I dealing with? Is it, is it easier to reverse band it or bottom band it? Like I actually end up using that more often than not. Some hack squats are really well suited to a top band. Some leg presses suck trying to top band them uh, and you're attaching those guys down onto the handles, in which case it's generally easier to bottom band the thing. Mm-hmm. So there's even a practical consideration about, about a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and it's tough we've spoken about before in terms of the... You know, there's like a, 
a model of periodization, which I still need to like fully hash out. <laughs> if we can even you call it a periodization model, just a, a way we should maybe con- like approach our training or consideration we should have in terms of how often we're exposing ourselves to high amounts of joint force and then also high amounts of inertia or inertial effects. Um, and the, the band set up there is going to influence that. So if we, you know, if you've got a reverse band set up, you're potentially dealing with less of those inertial effects on the eccentric, which will maybe demand slightly less of certain tissues around certain structures in terms of what you have to control and be aware of. And then similarly, the band, you know, the bottom banded variation or the typical conventional band, which would be pulling you through the eccentric might require a little more. So it could be something that profile wise, you end up doing the same stuff. Um, kind of in terms of what the overall effect is but the ch- the change is really coming in your the exposure you're getting to the inertial effects and potentially joint forces as well which is a good thing like inertia is not something we can avoid <laughs> it's, mass. Um, it's not a bad thing <laughs> and uh, it's just an in, you know it's just a thing that exists um and uh, and same with joint forces they're they're not bad at all and they're something that we can play around with um, if we have that kind of deeper understanding um so yeah that's that's another reason to maybe play around with them there isn't necessarily one approach that you could just stick to and be like that's how i'm gonna do it for the rest of my life because you know it pays to vary stuff keep the body guessing <laughs> that's how it grows i'm told <laughs> so that's the way uh, but no so yeah hopefully that makes sense anything else you want to add on that no, i think that's that's probably everything really Epic. Cool, cool, cool. Um, next question was, oh yeah, it was the so there was one question on the importance of hydration, um, which is stuff <laughs> which is yeah, an important one. I mean, I covered this briefly on our um, lives. We did I did two lives recently on the port on the education portal on nutritional strategies for hypertrophy and there was a segment in water which admittedly i kind of rushed through and i'm not going to be able to go through the whole thing here because this is a q a podcast not a... <laughs> me and cal will leave uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no i mean it we, basically there was a lot of stuff we went through and there's various types of dehydration that's like the effect of like you know the the condition we would have to consider as trying to avoid um but like the um the type that we'd typically see in our our realm or the type people probably more refer to is the um is called hypertonic dehydration so there's hypotonic but hyper as in like hyperactive um hypertonic dehydration which is where the proportion of water lost is greater than the amount of sodium that's lost from the extracellular fluid compartment but that's basically what we'll see when potentially people are just not consuming enough water or there's excessive sweating or things like that um from uh, from exercise and stuff so um but there's the the we we discussed a bunch of things on that live uh, or those two lives in relation to like uh protein synthesis protein breakdown glycogen synthesis glycogen breakdown so gly- glycogenolysis glycogenesis um protein synthesis and proteolysis like these these different pathways and the, the, the main takeaway is in a dehydrated cell, um, which doesn't actually take much. I mean, get to that in a sec, but like cell swelling, people have maybe heard that in relation in the talks around hypertrophy. That and, and cell shrinkage is the opposite of that, obviously. Um, 
well, I say obviously, hopefully, obviously. <laughs> I have a habit of saying obviously when it's maybe not that obvious. Um, but anyway, so if, if we see too much of this cell shrinkage occurring, what ultimately has happened is we, we lose the ability to um, stimulate those protein synthesis and glycogen synthesis pathways and we'll get more of a um, stimulation of like protein breakdown and glycogen breakdown so it's not potentially beneficial for our thing for our um, goals and, and people that are aimed with muscle to be dehydrated um, and then but it's there there's um I know there was a study which I referenced in the presentation um, where they they showed that as little as two percent dehydration um, could like hinder performance pretty severely and two percent dehydration I remember Adam one of the portal members a client of mine brought this up he's done MNU I think where they go into this a fair amount um and um he uh he, he kind of brought up the fact that two percent dehydration um isn't something that we'll feel so when you're thirsty you're probably beyond that point um so it's uh and they've noted that like two percent is enough to see a pretty significant negative impact on performance um whether or not we'll get that cell shrinkage and stuff that I just mentioned, like that's probably going to accompany more extreme levels of dehydration, but it's, uh, it's something to consider. Um, and that's, I mean, the, and there's more we could cover on that. And again, I'm going to do some stuff on the portal, but for the time being, I mean, just basically make sure you consume enough water and accounting for the amount of water in your food as well. That's one of the things that some people can overhydrate. Overhydration is not a good thing. There might be some people that come away from this being like, fuck me, I'm just going to drink as much water as I can. You you want to account for, um, I mean, I, another study I referenced in the in the um, presentation where they, they looked at the water content in food in like the United States, and there was about 20 to, I think it was 22, 23% of the water intake comes from food in that population, and they don't particularly they have a lower intake of fruits and veg and things like that, which is the, the foods that are going to have a higher water content in themselves. So if we're, if you're eating a good amount of like fruits, veggies, things that are higher in, um, higher in water naturally, you potentially will um, have a fair amount of your water covered from what you're eating. But if you're training hard regularly, sweat, you're, you're prone to sweating, um, living in a hotter environment things like this um obviously as we're approaching summer that's going to be more of a consideration you probably want to make sure that just generally you're like well hydrated um and with that like consuming enough sodium because they they go hand in hand um like the whole process of getting uh getting carbohydrates into your body requires a decent amount of sodium and stuff so like making making sure that that's the case is key um but, um, and the, the water recommendations and things like that, they're all pretty standard. Um, I can't actually remember the calculation I used. Like, in my head. Point. like an all point three three liters per yeah. kilo. It's something like that. Uh, yeah. I've never liked it that much for the reasons that, yeah. that you just said of going like, okay, well, so if I'm in a sauna in the rainforest working on a farm the whole time, but I'm also the same height and size as a person who's working in an air-conned office and isn't moving around. We need the same amount of water, do we? Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, like in a decent way, I recall, is if you take your body weight in pounds and you divide it by 56 and then you round it to the nearest half litre, I believe that's a method. I mean, if I use myself, I think 0.033 by 90 kilos is like three litres. Yeah. So what's... um. 90 kilos in pounds is... Sounds about 
yeah so that would if we did that divided by um 56 that comes to 3.53 so you could go three and a half three liters but within that ballpark you're always gonna have to take some guessing a good way to like know is if you end up getting like nocturia or which is nighttime urination or you're just frequently urinating you're probably having more than you need so you can just kind of regulate it and again one of the most common things i've found just from coaching and, and dealing with people that tend to over consume i say over consume consume a lot of veg and fruit um it's rare to find someone who over consumes that unless you're me um <laughs> the, um the they're, they're, they'll be failing to account for what they're, they're taking in from food um and then that like kind of pulling back what they're drinking um can kind of offset that to a degree and kind of tends to manage those those symptoms a little bit so one to consider um but hopefully that answers that one um one quick question, which is super easy on how do you work out protein requirements if a 100 kilo bodybuilder needs 180 or so? Um, I mean, you've kind of done it there. Um, <laughs> so, how do you work it out if I need I mean, you saying Where did they get that number? I don't know if that's what he's asking. Like that 1.8 to 2.2 grams per kilo is probably where that comes from. And I'd go 2 to 2.2 grams per kilo is a safe bet. Again, we covered that in those presentations so if you if you haven't checked that out on the portal if you're not a portal member there's some pretty juicy stuff and i'm in the middle of putting together quite a cool lecture series on all this stuff like the nutritional side of uh, nutritional strategies which is going to cover this but that's basically what they found in research um is that that's the area of protein you know the, the range of protein that someone would need for if they were frequently resistance training um and want to make sure they're consuming enough to drive hypertrophy and stuff you, you probably want to be consuming somewhere in that range um, one thing just worth pointing out occasionally is if you're dealing with a obese population or person is don't do it off <laughs> off of their total mass they'll end up with a comically large amount of protein for a gen pop person yeah. um, who has that in which case using their lean body mass even if it's an estimate yeah. is often a better gauge and don't tell them like and yeah don't just say what i just said to them <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm we need to use the obese protocol for you like no let's not do it i'm pretty sure mate you're carrying like 40 kilos of fat so let's undershoot this but well, about 50 percent of you is fat cells to be honest so uh... <laughs> that's brutal um, um but no that is a good point and if you're dealing with like elderly populations like lane norton did a good post the other day that showed that they you know in those populations you're going to need potentially 65 percent more protein um on like per meal I, I assume that's and i believe that translates to total per day as well but to stimulate like protein synthesis maximally in a the meal they're going to need a I think the number he put was like 0.4 grams per kilo body weight per meal for the elderly population. He compared that to like the younger population that would need 0.2 grams. Yeah. 0.24 grams. Per uh, kilo. Yeah. It's in that region. So, yeah. So, that's uh, one to consider like elderly populations, elderly clients. Here's the downside to that, though. Think of your grandparents. How many of them consume or have any desire to consume that much protein? <laughs> You're going to like. You can encourage it, it's, but I suspect it might be difficult. <laughs> Get some really <laughs> nice um, chocolate-flavoured protein and be like, this is just chocolate milk, Granny. <laughs> 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 oh, classic. Um, but no, so hopefully that clears that one up. That is, I mean, he, he sounds like he got it. He just maybe wants to know where that comes from. Um, mm. The research, sir, the research. Um, there was one last question 
Cal, which you might want to take around the low carb stuff. Have you got it? Or and slash PCOS. Um, literally, how to coach someone with PCOS, and then what situations do you recommend low or zero carb for client? They, they, I mean, there's an element of overlap there, but maybe. Yeah. So my name is C33. Is actual name is C33. Um, what recommend? What situations do you recommend low or zero carb for a client? Um, yeah. Yes, there's two extremes. Huh? I say it doesn't need to relate to PCOS. No, there's two extremes, isn't there? There's obviously somebody that would be on the extreme of a shoot prep or, you know, doing some form of transformation, quote unquote, process where they are going to go into a relatively mild slash or severe hypercaloric state and carbohydrates are going to have to inevitably go to a lower set point. Um, I wouldn't really ever see the need to do a zero a zero carb diet. Well, other than the fact that keto is the one. Yeah, it is the one. It is it's the one. Common, commonly known and fully accepted by everyone in this team. Yeah. <laughs> I think if we, uh, if, if we had that kind of quote-unquote prep scenario for whatever, whatever that prep was for, a, food, a shoot, a show, a holiday, whatever it might be, you know, by the end of that process, they are probably going to be spending periods of time on a lower carb diet because calories are low in general. Um, but I guess circumstance dependent, you know, you could probably get a, a heavily overweight client who's highly inflamed and highly in, insulin resistant where you probably will, dependent on their ability to adhere to something, probably will run through a phase where carbohydrates are on a lower end scale. But that being said, calories are going to be lower anyway and putting them in the Putting, putting them in an energy deficit is probably the most appropriate thing to do for their health just by simply losing weight. So um, mm. I think it's context dependent because you, you can get a client that's severely obese that you know their blood glucose is trending at 10 millimolar in the morning, but you get them to eat a low-carb diet and they can't follow a plan. So the best situation for them then will be, right, let's just track, track your calories and actually get you in an energy deficit and, and let this weight come off first because that's going to be the best thing for the for their health in the long term anyway by getting them to a better body composition at that point. Yeah. I mean, the, the my take, I, I fully agree. The, the, the but it's like, situations do you recommend low or zero carb for a client? Like the situation that they really want to try keto, but okay, you want to try it. Like, or the situation they want to fast, in which case every macronutrient is going to be low to zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no like there there is yeah like cal says context dependent and we know like we should know that there's no rat there's no extra benefit to going zero carb other than the fact that if there was a situation where you wanted to pull a lot of weight off someone not necessarily fat like if there was some reason why you needed them to make weight for something like competition or anything like that you know putting them zero carb you could lose a lot of weight and do that sort of thing and, and get them to make away and then carve them back up and they'll be fine. But um, those situations maybe, but yeah, I agree with what Cal said. If it's for purposes around body composition, there's just context, isn't it? Yeah. And um, PCOS bit, anything to add? Um, I think like the whole situation behind, like if we were to give context over the situation, you have uh, high pulse frequency of luteinizing hormones. So you've got, a higher level of bioavailable androgens, you've got hyperinsulinemia, you've got low SHBG, which is driving those androgens up even more. You've got, you know, them being insulin resistant. 
the biggest factor for a, a client with PCOS, especially if they are if they are on the spectrum of being a heavier, you know, individual carrying more adiposity is, you know, control, control lifestyle and uh, considerations and, and control energy balance. Um, and if they are in that hyperinsulinemia state where we know they are in that position where that has been present for an extended period of time, then it will make sense from a nutritional management perspective to put a protocol in place where, you know, I would always start from a Darcha perspective where they're just controlling blood glucose to a greater extent through very basic considerations from a nutritional standpoint. And that's just going to be an educational process for a lot of clients. Great. And the, there's a, uh, this one thing that when, when we saw the topic earlier, there's a, for people that would be like, oh, I want to, you know, look at supplements and this and that for potential deployment with clients with PCOS, there's a study, a research review in 2018 by um, Gu Nalan et al., which is basically a research review of um, the effect of nutritional supplementation in the management of PCOS-associated metabolic dysfunction. And it basically goes through every single every single supplement pulls through every single supplement they've gone through in regards to the application and why, why they would potentially have their place. But again, even the, even the study points out in, in kind of block letters at the start, the, the biggest consideration here with 99% of these people is, is lifestyle first, nutritional management first. And then this stuff can be kind of like the icing on the cake if we need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know uh, there's in, in not at all, it's talked about as a supplement that people quite often include, but, with, with and some people that helps but again like bring that in later maybe but again and we, we talked about this on the portal um the other week where clients with this sort of thing and it's really important you know as with all this stuff to like stay in your remit as a coach um in terms of um sorry about that um stay in your remit as a coach um and make sure that you don't kind of step too far the wheelhouse in terms of it's you know there'll be a lot of people that maybe geek out on um on this side of things and then maybe overstep and what they're actually licensed to do as a as a pt coach and if the doctor you know the, the, we had a question and the, the takeaway we gave the other week was the individual who asked it you know knew she wasn't probably skilled enough and, and like savvy enough on the topic of PCOS to go in and give recommendations to a client so the advice was a let the doctor handle it b until the client presents with any need to make adjustments like this don't because you know for a lot of time you know people might end up with a diagnosis of PCOS but might not actually show many symptoms that require big intervention from any sort of angle um so you can just be like okay until they that's needed we'll just carry on as normal um and I think yeah and, and that kind of the third point interlinks with the second one but it was just like don't treat them any different because clients quite often you know if you they come to you and they go I've just been diagnosed with PCOS and you go, oh my God, like you're fucking broken. Like we need to, <laughs> they're going to be like, well, fuck, like, like am I broken? You know, it might affect them negatively. So if you can just be like, oh, that's cool. You know, like, we'll, we'll, if we need to do anything, we will, but at the moment it's just carry on. It will make them maybe feel a bit better about the situation. Um, so yeah, that that's a thing to top that off with. But other than that, everything Cal just said was on the money. I don't know, you've done a pretty cool, like introductory video to that on the portal as well. I thought an easy one to ask a lot of clients, almost regardless of their issue, is that like just ask them: Is there anything that you find this causes you problems with, or that you found helps with this kind of thing? Is there any advice your doctor's given you on this? Like explore it with them, and often they'll come up with their own things. Or like, oh yeah, my energy really lags after a meal. Okay, that's interesting. That might tell us something about what kind of goes on 
around there that you can then jump off and explore a little further. Or they might be like, not really. I'm kind of feel like I'm okay. And you're like, all right, tweet. Yep. Don't be afraid to just ask your client stuff. Yeah. No, you can never ask the client. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a very good point. Very good point. Um, communication is key. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that pretty much wraps up all the questions we had, didn't we, boys? So. Um, there was none. Um, yeah, I mean, what was it? What's an average day look like for a 300 pound grizzly cow? <laughs> They're talking about Cooper or me. <laughs> Surprised Cooper hasn't been barking on this one, to be fair. He's calmed down. He's not in the house. That's why Hannah's taken him for a walk. <laughs> oh no phenomenal well no that's cool then we'll wrap it up but um yeah thanks for listening everyone we'll um we'll we'll aim to i think maybe next week's one be a q a as well so we'll hopefully get a few a few more rounds of things like this in um and then so if we put for those that listen if we put this out if we put another question box out get them in um because we'll try and make this a bit more regular but thanks for thanks for joining us boys it's funny um catch you on the next one thank you for listening to the muscle mentors podcast just a quick shout out to our sponsors who support the channel and everything we do in the realms of education and coaching within the industry firstly our original sponsor supplement needs they've been with us from the start if you're seeking the highest quality supplements on the market particularly organ support and health orientated products you can use code muscle mentors at checkout for 10 percent off your order precision prep our recently introduced food preparation partner delivering the finest quality meal prep across the UK featuring their new pro prep range a concept closely developed with us to solve an issue we see day to day with time limitations and nutritional compromise. If you're seeking the highest quality nutrition delivered to your door for the best price, look no further. Use code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for 15% off your first order and 10% thereafter. And lastly, RAR Optics, the highest grade blue lock blue light blocking glasses on the market with the slickest style in a world filled with artificial light particularly those with high screen time i can certainly say i'm one of them these can be a real game changer for sleep quality and recovery something we use personally on a day-to-day basis grab yourself a pair by using code muscle mentals at checkout for money off all orders once again thank you for your continued support until next time